Every family has their own traditions around Thanksgiving. Sometimes that includes football, games, or a movie night. But for most, it usually includes a lot of food, right? Turkey, stuffing, pumpkin pie, and all the fixings. Well, today, American history expert Tim Barton joins us to talk about the rich history surrounding the first Thanksgiving and some of those myths and misconceptions about that first turkey day. Stay with us. Welcome to the Moms for America podcast. Each week, special guests tackle the issues facing the moms of America today. Discussions include personal stories and advice on how moms can build a strong foundation of faith, family, and freedom in their homes and country. Hi, moms. I'm Debbie Kurlitis, your host, and thank you once again for joining me today. We are always so delighted to have you every week right at the top of the show. I always do want to remind you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Also, if you want to give us a review, that would be super cool. We would appreciate that. This podcast is going to be one that you're going to want to share with your mom friends because it's all about Thanksgiving. And I actually want to kind of th- have you think about the fact that you could play this uh, podcast during your meal preparation and really get your kids all on board about the first Thanksgiving and the true historical value of Thanksgiving and what we can pull from it. Also here at the beginning of the show, if you have not joined the movement here at Moms for America, I want to invite you to please join us here. We are moms uniting all across the country, fighting for our families, faith, freedom, and the Constitution. How do you join? Super simple. You just go to momsforamerica.us, fill out that form. You'll go ahead and get our newsletter and you become a part of our family. Uh, Check out all our resources, guides, seminars, information, booklets, pamphlets, historical information. It's all there at momsforamerica.us. Also, if you have an idea or a topic for our podcast, would you please email me at podcast at momsforamerica.net. I would love to hear from you and any of your suggestions. Alrighty, on to today's program. Well, it's that time of year again. Can you believe it? Thanksgiving is here. It's upon us and it is one of those holidays that every American can participate in because we all have so much to be thankful for. Uh, Historian Tim Barton is my guest. Uh, Tim is the president of Wall Builders, a national pro-family organization that presents America's forgotten history and heroes. What an amazing organization Wall Builders is. You've got to check them out if you're not familiar with them. Well, today we're talking with Tim about the history of America's first Thanksgiving, right, moms? This is so important because this is so foundational. Uh, I really want to encourage you to share this. And and like I said, play this as you're, as you're setting up your meals, when you're gathering around making your pies, let your kids understand what America was built on and really the beautiful information that he's going to share today about the historical value and the historical foundation of our pilgrims. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this program and I'm excited to talk with him. Well, welcome, Tim, to the Moms for America podcast. It's nice to have uh, one of these rock stars from Wall Builders on the show. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, uh, tell us a little bit before we get started. We always kind of like to know a little bit everybody's family. Can you give us an idea what uh, Thanksgiving has typically been at the Barton household or what have been some of your traditions on Thanksgiving? Yeah, so growing up, we... Uh, we're a, a very country-oriented family. 
Uh, we always had a small little farm. My grandparents had a small ranch. Now my dad has the ranch and I uh, still has a little bit of, of some farmland as well. And we used to travel a lot when my dad would go all over the nation and share a lot about the Christian heritage of the nation. We had a 15 passenger van we always traveled with, but we <laughs> wow. loved Thanksgiving so much because this was a time that we always got to be home. And it used to be that we'd go to my grandparents' ranch and all the family would come in. And uh, also as country people, we were big outdoorsmen and especially growing up, uh, the, the meat that we would eat throughout the year was largely meat that we had harvested, uh, we hunted for. And so uh, Thanksgiving was always uh, my favorite holiday, arguably for lots of reasons. Um, but because anytime I get to be with family, I got to be outdoors and God's creation, uh, mm -hmm. harvesting and enjoying some of the meat. Uh, it's so many fun aspects, but really we, we always had family time together. Uh, we had a family tradition that before we had any meal, we, we would pray. Uh, my grandparents would have us all in a circle around the room and we would all have to say, uh, really assess us last year and say something that mm -hmm. we were grateful that God had done uh, for us, with us, through us, in us from this last year to help us get our mindset the right way, the attitude of gratitude. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, family traditions surrounding it, but certainly Thanksgiving is definitely one of my favorite holidays by far. Yeah, me too. I love it because it's kind of that whole approaching the winter, the fall, it's kind of that whole cozy feeling. It's laced with gratitude and thankfulness and nothing gets distracted with that. It really is centering around love and thankfulness mm -hmm. and gratitude that God has given us and in, in our family. So I love it very much so as well. So, all right. Being that Thanksgiving is, is this coming week, uh, we definitely want to talk about the Thanksgiving, the first Turkey day, all that fun stuff, miss truce, all that stuff. But before we get into that, being that wall builders talks so much about our history, I kind of want to just ask you about American history now and how, um, we have to be so, um, careful now because so much of it is not accurate. And I'd like to right. just have you start off with the fact that we need to be triple checking and really looking at what type of history our kids are learning, correct? Oh, a big time. I, that is that is one of the most significant things we could talk about, but big picture understanding, we are in a culture that is debating and battling over truth. Does it yeah. exist? Is it subjective? Is it objective? And, and, and you know, really as, as a person of faith, as a Christian, this is a really big deal too. Because from the very beginning, this was the attack of the devil, right? When when Eve is in the garden and the snake comes to her, and and the first attack was, did God really say, right? It was mm -hmm. it was to question what truth was. This is the same attack we are seeing in culture today. We we are are watching kids being encouraged to question what truth is. Are there only two genders, right? Well, well, what if I feel like this? What if I think this? And, and we're seeing all of these attacks around us. So ultimately, there is a battle for truth. And that yeah. battle for truth doesn't just uh, lie at, at a, a, a Christian, moral, philosophical perspective. It's happening on every level as imaginable. We're, we're seeing it with global warming. When you look at, at some of the, the scientists that are acknowledging that the scales, the models they're using to predict global warming, like we know these are incredibly inaccurate based on the data. If you go back to the early 2000s when they said that by now we were already going to have an increase of 30 feet of the ocean levels because of all the melting ice caps. And, and then actually shortly after that prediction, they changed it to three feet and they changed it to three inches. Mm -hmm. and, and we haven't even had an inch increase 
of the sea level based on what they thought was going to happen. We are seeing an attack on truth on mm -hmm. every imaginable level. And certainly if it comes yeah. to history, this is something that what we are seeing right now happen in education in, in yeah. all 50 states. If you look at the, the AP U.S. history standards, they are largely derived from the work of Howard Zinn. Howard Zinn back in 1980 uh, wrote a history book, A People's History of the United States. And in his history book, he took a twist of history and said, everybody you think was an honorable person was actually a really evil person. And he starts with Christopher Columbus. He talks right. about George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, all of these people that should be honored for their positive contribution, not just to America, but to Western civilization, to the world, because of what they did, their leadership, their examples, their contributions. And yet today, students are being taught right. that these are the most uniquely evil people ever. And, and that's a big deal too, that they're uniquely evil. Because it would be one thing, right, if we looked at, for example, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Today we're told, well, they're bad. They had slaves. Okay, understand, in the 1700s, having slaves made you normal, not uniquely evil. Because every right. political leader, every person of influence, every person of financial means in the world in the 1700s, if you had money and power, you know what else you had? Slaves. Because right. that's the way the world worked. It wasn't. That's what it was happening at that time, yes. It. It wasn't a unique evil by the founding fathers. And yet, if you look at the founding fathers, the founding fathers were the ones who started, the very first ones to start a political movement against slavery. If you look at the abolition movement that begins first in America, people talk about England was the first one to end slavery by 1833. I would point out every single New England colony had passed laws to abolish slavery by 1804. But whether you talk about England or you talk about the Northern colonies in America, the abolitionists would use the phrase, all men are created equal. Well, guess where they learned that phrase? From Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. And, and the reason this matters is as we are watching the attacks against America, it is not an attack that is rooted in history. It's not people saying, hey, let's learn the truth about who these people were. It is actually distortions of truth and lies. And because our kids don't know the truth, the, the, the reason people fall for lies, they don't know the truth. Jesus said, you yeah. know the truth, it sets you free. Amen. We don't know the truth. And that is why we're seeing the founding fathers and even the history of America being villainized the way it is today. Villainized the way it is today. So well put. Again, for everybody that's listening, you've got to check out Wall Builders because they have all of this historical content. We talk so much about history. We believe that if we do not understand history correctly, then the future really takes on its own, a new perspective, mm -hmm. right? Uh, a new morality, a new right and wrong. There is no right, right and wrong. Everything is feeling. So we know that this is really a problem in today's culture and that they are rewriting historical uh, heroes um, and events. So let's let's talk about Thanksgiving because obviously they've, they've um, rewritten a lot of this. And I kind of feel like this is going to be a podcast that moms can play while they're making the meal. Let's tell everybody about Thanksgiving the way it truly was. Yes. Let's dispel the myths. Let's expose the truth. And let's do this as we're putting, making our pumpkin pies. Hopefully our moms can do this. So let's talk a little bit about um, the first Thanksgiving leading up to it. Can you give us a, just a, a quick intro to it? And then we'll talk about the actual event and what happened. Absolutely. I need to point out my mouth started watering when you're talking about pumpkin pies. I'm thinking <laughs> pecan know. pies. Like I'm so ready for Thanksgiving. I know, I'm so me ready. Too. <laughs> uh, but yes, as as 
as hopefully we are, our families are preparing, getting ready for this incredible day. Also worth noting, only America has a Thanksgiving holiday. Mm. It, it, it's something that most people don't realize some of the unique things about America. Only America has Thanksgiving holiday. Why? Because only America had the pilgrims that started this unique tradition. This is a uniquely right. American holiday. If, if your family ever has an opportunity to go uh, around the world, go to Europe, you can talk to missionaries that are in other nations and you ask them, what, what are some of the things you miss the most about America? It's, it's quite fascinating that for many of them, they will name some uniquely American things like Thanksgiving. They, they just they miss Thanksgiving because that doesn't happen everywhere. So why did it happen right. in America? Well, I'm sorry. Did you want to jump in? I was just no, I'm saying right. It's true. It is. It's, yes. it's America's history. So wh- wh- how did this start? There was a group of Christians in England. And, and, and there was a lot of different groups, but specifically the pilgrims. They were a church congregation. And this is also the time when King James is in power. And King James is the one who famously did the King James Bible in 1611. Well, a few things about King James is he wanted to have kind of a exclusive control of religious content, specifically of the narrative. Up to that point, there had been what was known as the Geneva Bible. Uh, it came out of Geneva, Switzerland. The early reformers that had been challenging some of the powers that be, whether it was a king in different nations, because this was happening all over Europe, uh, even some of the religious leaders, they were saying, you guys are saying that God wants us to do certain things, but if we read the Bible, what the Bible says is not what you're saying. So there was a movement to get back to the Bible. The Geneva Bible was the first Bible available in the language of common man in English, and it had commentary in the side margins. That commentary was taken by the works of some of the early reformers. So this was the first time people people had never had their own Bible and they'd never seen right. a Bible in English. And, and not only did they get their own Bible, it had commentary explaining what the Bible really meant. And they recognized that what, what the kings were doing, what these religious leaders were saying wasn't what the Bible said. So King James bans the Geneva Bible, comes out with the King James Bible, and actually ends up uh, having another executive order where he says that you can no longer print any kind of religious material, religious commentary, nothing that would give guidance on what the Bible really says because you just need to trust the king and et cetera. Well, this, right. as this is unfolding, this leads the pilgrims to go, you know what? We really want to raise our kids <laughs> believing something different than just what the king says. So they go to Holland. In Holland, they find freedom, but they're not really out from under the king's reach. And so they still have issues with the king because they start actually printing commentary. Uh, one, one of the elders from their church, uh, William Brewster, is a printer. He's printing commentary of the New Testament, sending it back to their friends in England because they still have a lot of Christian friends in England. And, and so there's a lot of tension. Uh, the king actually sends some guards and they go and confiscate all the printing uh, materials of the press. The pilgrims realize, okay, we're not really safe from the king's reach in Holland. And as our kids are growing up, the, the people in Holland, they give us religious freedom but they don't have the same values and our kids are playing with their kids or learning some of their culture and customs and it's not a godly custom they're learning. We, we wanna take our kids to a place where we can raise them outside the reach of the king, where yes. we are able to, to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So they come back to England, they, they get two ships, the Mayflower and the Speedwell. Uh, they initially try to leave in the summer, the Speedwell develops holes. Uh, they have to turn back they repair the ship, they sail again. Speedwell a second time develops holes. 
<laughs> historians look back now and they think it very likely possibly uh, was sabotage. Okay, that that's what was... I was wondering. What really happened there? Sabotage. Okay. Right. I mean, you know, <laughs> Something. We, we, we kind of joke about it, right? That you're going down below and you see these holes that like kind of like a screw that was being drilled in the side. And they're like, I don't know how this happened. Okay. Yeah, like, something yes. ain't right. Okay. <laughs> we think this is sabotage. And, and the reason that historians kind of think it's sabotage is because as soon as a the, the speedwell was hired out uh, under another individual that was for shipping purposes not taking a group of people to the new world and never had leaking problems again right so that's where they're like okay we we think the crew just didn't want to go take these pilgrims to the new world well so when they at this point can't take both ships they say well let's let's just load everybody we can up on the mayflower mm -hmm. they actually have to take other things off the ship like if, for example in the captain's quarters probably in the captain's quarters there was a desk and some chairs and, and, and a bed and things that would have been comfortable for the captain they start removing some of those things so they can fit more people on board. They get 102 passengers on board the Mayflower, yeah. but they don't leave England until September. Well, it's a 66 day voyage. And that means when they arrive over to the new world, they're arriving in November. They, they had actually received permission from the king that they could go to the Virginia colony. And, and specifically, they were selling for the Jamestown area because that's where civilization was. It's where there was there was people. There, there was something there. And so they were going to sail to the Jamestown colony. Now, providentially, as they're going over, the storms were so severe, the storm was blowing them north, and they could not sail to Virginia. They, they had to land in a different location. And one of the early governors from Jamestown was John Smith. John Smith uh, was in a gunpowder explosion that was actually believed to have been a sabotage thing as well, uh, because... He had passed some laws where he required everybody to work in Jamestown. It was kind of an anti-socialism law, and it wasn't well-received by some of the people of money. Anyway, so he's in a gunpowder explosion. The only one injured had to go back to England to find medical help. He came back, I believe it was 1614, and he began exploring north from the Virginia or the Jamestown colony and just kind of identifying what else was there. He's the one that actually named that northern area Plymouth, and he identified where there was some land that possibly was was habitable where people might could go and live and so the pilgrims had a map uh, that had been copied from what john smith had explored and so they say look let, let's just try to land in this place where, where we might be able to to build homes and, and might have be a able future. to right build it build a new life i mean I, it, I love all the details you're filling in because we all know this story but do we really know the story and that's what i love all those interesting details you know um so now now this is going to be quite a challenge. We've always heard about the challenge and the in and the winter and the 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 um the struggle it was to get there. Um when they get there, um many die, right? In this right. right. I mean, so they, they arrive in November and in November up in the New England area, there's already snow on the ground. It is cold. So they arrive at a place where there are no homes, there's no shelter, there's no firewood that's been cut for them. No. And they're they're virtually There's no out welcome of food. committee, right? There's no, no this is yeah. Exactly. This is it. Right. And, and the food they brought with them, they've consumed most of it and what's right. left over is is rotting. So they have no food, no fuel for fires, no shelter, and this is why that first winter nearly half of them either starved or froze to death that first winter. Uh, and, and really, when spring comes and, and they're trying to navigate, they're not even sure how they can do that. And this is where there's so much providence that is in their story. Uh, amazing along the way, they encounter, one of the first natives they encounter 
was Somerset, and they had heard the horror stories of Jamestown. Jamestown, in a very ungodly fashion, had uh, turned against some of the natives, actually some of the natives who had been friendly on some levels. Uh, the, the people of Jamestown at one point actually kidnapped Pocahontas. Like they, they really did not do a good job in many right. respects with their relation with the, the Native Americans. With that being said, the people of Plymouth had heard the stories of Jamestown about how the, the natives would come and they would attack you and the warring natives. And so that's the reason the pilgrims had hired Miles Standish, who was a military officer from over in England to come and, and be essentially like their bodyguard. They, they, they didn't know how to build defenses. They didn't know how to have a, a security perimeter. So they said, you sure. come show us how to be safe and secure. So Miles Standish is with them. But but Somerset is the first native that they actually encounter. And when he's the first, he is the first one. And th this really begins a great relationship, doesn't it? Correct. They they had seen some natives before Somerset, but they had had no interaction. Somerset is okay. the first one they interact with. And when they, they try to communicate, he actually spoke some spoke English, English and they're blown away. Right. Like how does, how does this native know English? Well, Somerset had done some trading with some previous ships. And so he'd learned some English words, but essentially so he communicates with them and tells them that I don't speak very much English. There's somebody else. You need to meet this other guy. So he goes back, Somerset goes back and he actually leads a delegation back. In the delegation was the chief of all the Wampanoag tribe, was Chief Massasoit. But in that delegation was Squanto. Squanto is the one who was fluent in English. And this is also one of my favorite parts of the story. Because when John Smith, the, the former governor of the Jamestown colony, had done the exploring in 1614, uh, there were several ships with him as they were going north. One of the ships was captained by Thomas Hunt. Thomas Hunt, uh, John Smith, they were in a, a uh, kind of a little bay, harborish kind of area, and they were trading with some of the local tribes. And John Smith loads up his ships out first, second ship goes out. Thomas Hunt's the last ship is there. And there were some natives in canoes and, and, and on land. And he says, hey, do you guys want to come out and, and see our really big boat? Because you've never been on a boat. Did you want to see it? And the natives said yes. And so they come out. He had 27 natives get on board a ship. Well, he said, <laughs> hey, do you all want to see below deck? He took the 27 natives below deck and he locked them below deck. He kidnapped them and he sailed them back to Europe and he was taking them back to sell them into slavery because 1600s, this is the, the middle of the African or the North Atlantic slave trade, like slavery, slave trade, very common around the world right now. So Thomas Hunt takes them back to sell them. When they get back over to Europe, there were some religious leaders like, like monks who saw these natives being sold and several had already been sold, but they went and, and they bid and they bought all of the other natives. Well, they're able, Squanto is able actually to get back to England and he lives with kind of like these monks, these friars in England. And while he's there, they teach him English. He lived in England for five years. Now, wow. a couple a of really, story. really important things, right? He lives with the religious community in England for five years. So not just learning English, he learned about Jesus. He learned about God. He, he's learning this foundation in 1619. <laughs> He tells them, I, I really want to go back. I, I want to go back and check on my people. I want to see how they're doing. Some speculate he might have even had a wife at that point. It's, it's kind of unknown, but he wants to go back. So in 1619, he gets aboard a ship going to the Jamestown colony. He gets off and he goes north to go find his family. When he gets back north, his family lived in the Plymouth area. That, that's where his tribe was from. Hmm. When he got back to that area, his tribe had been wiped out by disease. They, they've all died. 
So if he had a wife, he had kids, they'd all died. He is now the only one of his tribe left. And you can imagine the devastation. And so he found a local tribe and, and he befriends them and that tribe befriended him. And so he begins living with them. But this is the Wampanoag tribe. So what's wow. so significant is when Squanto shows up. What what a cra- crazy oh. uh, turn of events. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't make that up. No, literally. I mean the providence of God, right? right. Squanto shows up the next year. He, there is no there, like literally there is no person that could have filled in the gaps no. better because Squanto literally the year before he was in England. He was literally where right. the pilgrims came from. He'd been there for five years. He didn't just learn English customs. He learned Christian customs. But he comes back and his people have all died. Well, also worth noting, the other local native tribes, they didn't really understand disease or or, or germs and germ theory. They didn't know that yet. And so if a disease wipes a tribe out, some of the the common thought was, well, there's an evil spirit that's in that area and it kills Uh... people. So we need to stay away from that area. So the area was literally uninhabited because no native wanted to live there because they thought there was a bad spirit. They're killing the people. So when the pilgrims show up, they show up to a deserted location. There's nobody living there, but that's where Squanto's people have been. So when Squanto that spring decides that he wants to help them, like, like the, the burden from God, right? Kind of thought like on his mind, on his shoulders, he's like, I need to help them. Squanto lives with them. He actually lives with them for several years, ends up dying uh, in their camp. Uh, just uh, got very sick uh, one day and, and ends up dying from that sickness, but he lives with them for several years. But what's incredible is Squanto's the one that shows them how to hunt. He shows them how to fish. He shows them how to plant crops. But what's even better, think through this. When he's telling them, hey, guys, here's how to fish, he's not just saying here's how to fish in North America. He's saying, hey, guys, fish over here because this is the spot where we know there's, like, we used to catch fish here. Um, This is the best place to fish. Here's the field where you should grow crops because this is the most fertile field. He literally is not just showing them how to survive. He's showing them where specifically to do this. Had it not been for Squanto, they wouldn't have right. made it. <laughs> no, no. Right. I mean, literally, they would not have made it. Literally, literally. Oh, wow. and, and what's so cool about this, when, when you come to the first Thanksgiving, and Governor Bradford, you can read his journals, and Governor Bradford talked about that when they had harvested their crop, they called for a day to thank God because yes. they had gone from a place the year before half of them died right. to now God had brought them. This is Governor Bradford's journal. Like God had brought them friends and allies that God had helped them harvest crops. And, and the harvest, we think of Thanksgiving as, as abundance. Well, that's not quite what this first Thanksgiving was. The first Thanksgiving, Governor Bradford said they were thanking God that they might not all die the coming winter, right? That, that they might have got enough that they might survive this next winter. So they're still not living in abundance yet, but they're living in freedom. And yeah. that God has brought them friends and provision. And here's what's even cooler. They end up having a three-day feast and festival right. with the natives. And... At that point, the, the Plymouth Historic Society says there were 53 pilgrims still there. It actually goes through and identifies all of them. And it also points out that there were 22 males between, I think, 13 and 60 years old. They would call them uh, adult age males that were capable of being soldiers slash warriors. Why okay. that matters, when Chief Massasoit showed up, he had 90 male braves. And, and they came for the first Thanksgiving. So the first thing to note, one of the modern accusations is we hear that that white people stole all the land from the natives. I'm gonna point out the pilgrims are different than every accusation you're going to hear. Uh, and mm. had the pilgrims stolen this land, which they didn't, 
But but had the Indians believed, had the natives believed the pilgrims were here with bad intentions, right? that first Thanksgiving could have gone very, very differently. Right. History right? would have been a little bit different. Yes. But instead, instead, when you look at the fact they feasted for three days, it yeah. was the natives who brought the deer, who brought oh. the eel, who brought the lobster, what, what they feasted no tur- on. No turkey. Well, I, I think actually there was a, a, maybe a turkey or two, but that was okay. the main course, right? right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> yes, a turkey, bit different, but, yeah. Right. However, what, what they feasted on was the provision their friends brought mm. to help them enjoy this moment. And so at the first Thanksgiving, they definitely had dedicated times of prayer, thanking God Amen. that they had they had found the place where they could have religious freedom, where they could raise their kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and it wasn't easy, but in the midst of their hardship, God had brought them friends. And now God was God was helping them know how to survive. And, and, and they were now beginning to grow their own crops and have provision. And I mean, it's, it's an absolutely amazing story for three days. They they enjoyed food and fellowship. They had athletic competitions. They had races and wrestling matches and shooting competitions. But for three days, they they wow. enjoyed this fellowship with God and man at the first Thanksgiving. And actually, they end up signing a peace treaty with the Wampanoag Indians, which is the longest lasting peace treaty between any white people, any Europeans and any natives in American history. The, the pilgrims have one of the most remarkable stories and, and i've abbreviated some of this like there is there is so <laughs> yes. many more of these amazing stories and moments in the pilgrims epic but certainly as we look at thanksgiving we have forgotten part of this perspective and you know it's it's in the american tradition of thanksgiving we often think of abundance but i'm going to point out you go back to the first thanksgiving right i mean they half of them their families had died just right right the year before this this is not a time that people had no hardship that everything right exactly. was was cake and candy bar and you know it's everything is wonderful like nope that this was real and yet in in this incredibly mature biblical perspective they said that even in the hard times we're going to praise god and we're going to thank god for what he's done even though our life hasn't been easy we recognize that God is still moving on our behalf and right. we're going to thank God for who he is and what he's done. And that's much more of what the first Thanksgiving is really about. I think too, is, is we hear this story, which is so interesting. You're such a great storyteller. I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you that, um, but just so captivating and so interesting. And just, just the fact that, you know, we hear all this about separation of church and state and that, you know, these people were not really religious. They were not this. And they, like I said, re- rewriting history, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The actual word pilgrim is a, a journey to a sacred place for religious reasons. I mean, this was all about freedom and independence and raising their children with godly values and principles and recognizing that God had given them um, a beautiful opportunity in the midst of a, a, it was a challenging uh, journey, but they understood that freedom was there. They, they did. And, and, and the word pilgrim, they, 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 they took from the Bible, right? That, that we are pilgrims and strangers. We're just going through because they recognize ultimately that, that as Christians, there is so much more to yeah. what we're doing here than just this life. And, and so they absolutely were people that built their lives on the Bible and the word of God. Governor Bradford said that they would read the Bible every day. There were some mm-hmm. days they would read from their Bible six to eight hours a day, which mm-hmm. is just a, a mind boggling thought as, as someone central, Christian, right? Central right. to their whole civilization there. And, so and right, Tim, right? When things are tough, people really do run and cleave 
to their only hope, which would have been their savior. I mean, they were really in the thick of it. Big time. And they also recognize that they're in a place now that, I mean, the reason they wrote the Mayflower Compact, it is the first governing document written in America, in American history, because they thought they were going to Jamestown and they get to this new world and they say, look, we, we need to have some system of government. And this is why they write the Mayflower Compact, because they wanted to have standards they're going to, they're going to follow and live by. And in the opening paragraph, they actually explain part of why they're coming. It says, for the glory of God, the advancement of the Christian faith. From the very beginning, they say, listen, we're coming as Christians. And this is a big motivation of who we are. But part of the reason they also spent so much time in the Bible is they wanted to know how to govern their life, their conduct, how to govern their community mm-hmm. based on the guidance of the word of God. And so absolutely, they were looking for a something spiritual, but they were also looking for something that I think a lot of Christians at times misunderstand it's the practicality of the Bible for daily living yeah. and, and for even governance and operation and, and it, not just how do we raise our families, but how can we govern our communities? How, how can we do a good job with schools and education? Mm-hmm. They turn to the Bible for everything and they laid the foundation that when, when, when people talk about Jamestown being this first English colony in America, I, I would point out that Jamestown had a far less significant impact on American history than did the Pilgrims. America was more shaped and influenced by the legacy of the pilgrims than we were by the legacy of Jamestown. Now, if you talk about some of the sinful roots of American history, certainly there's some sinful stains that came from Jamestown, but the ultimate foundation of America was built on the rock that the pilgrims laid at Plymouth all the way back in 1620 when they got here, including things like the tradition of the first Thanksgiving. The reason we have a Thanksgiving to this day is because of what they started is also the reason that every single early governor every single founding father when they were governor every spring they would have a day of prayer and fasting every mm-hmm. fall they would have a day of prayer and thanksgiving why because the tradition the pilgrim started was every spring Christ, right? they would call for a day of prayer and fasting asking god to send rain and bring provision and help their crops grow and every fall they would have a day of prayer and thanksgiving to thank god for what he had done by 1815 there had been more than 1400 government prayer proclamations, which are proclamations from governors, from even presidents, from Congress, but calling the nation to recognize God, to pray, to ask for God's intervention, and then to thank God for who he is and what he had done at the end of each year. This is, again, part of the legacy of the pilgrims. Think about that. Just the rich history, biblical history, biblical worldview, reliance on God. And that's why it's so frustrating when we hear, um, you know, this culture and the rewriting of history saying, you know, well, maybe they weren't really Christians. Maybe they weren't really faith-based. They were, it was embedded in mm-hmm. every aspect of their life. And and when I was on your site, I saw all those proclamations declaring gratitude before our father, our king, our heavenly father. I mean, this was who they were. They were looking for a place to raise, to grow, and to serve Christ. And boy, mm-hmm. what an example, really what an example they are Absolutely. to us um, as men and women of faith. Um, when did this become a federal holiday? How? What is the evolution of this? Now we talk about this like historically with proclamations almost organically, but um, this became a federal holiday. Yep. How so, so George Washington started the tradition of a president doing a day of Thanksgiving. Uh, which that happened right after the the federal congress did what became known as the bill of rights initially there were 12 amendments they sent to the states to uh for the states to consider ratification so washington did a day of prayer and thanksgiving thanking god so that started the presidential tradition 
under Abraham Lincoln, that is when it became a, an official federal national holiday that we're going to have a day of Thanksgiving. But it wasn't until Ronald Reagan that it became officially the fourth Thursday of the month of November, because before oh, that, uh, you, you had some presidents at, you know, maybe the end of October, somewhere in November. <laughs> maybe, so right. Right, the date kind of shifted a little bit. <laughs> so Ronald Reagan said, this is crazy, right? Let's let's go. make it the official day. And so that that's when Thanksgiving became the permanent resting place of that fourth Thursday in November. But literally, we can track from George Washington as far as presidency. Now, we can go all the way back to the Pilgrims for where Thanksgiving really began in America. But George Washington and virtually every president after George Washington did days of prayer and Thanksgiving, thanking God for who he is, for what he'd done for America. And then Ronald Reagan was the one that made that a, a permanent landing spot in November. Anything that we need to, beautiful, anything we need to mention to our kids, particularly about Thanksgiving, that you would say has taken over the narrative that we want to clear up? Well, one of, one of the leading accusations today is that there's people promoting that instead of celebrating Thanksgiving, it should be a day of mourning because this is for if you're a native in America, this is when you remember that all of your land was stolen by white people. And I would again point out the pilgrims did not steal land from white people. In American history, was land stolen from natives? Absolutely it was. But when did that happen? Because it, it didn't happen. It, it, the pilgrims didn't do this, right? Roger Williams, when he founded Rhode Island, he didn't steal the land. Uh, when, when you look at the founding of Connecticut or, or, or William Penn founding Pennsylvania, not only did he not steal the land of Pennsylvania, William Penn bought the same land in Pennsylvania and, and just to give a little historic context, William Penn's father, William Penn was a Quaker. His father was an admiral under the king and, and royal admiral. So really high ranking officer, had won a lot of victories for the king. This was back when Great Britain had the most powerful military, the most powerful navy specifically in the entire world. It's in the era when the, the sun didn't set on the British empire. That's kind of when this is unfolding. So Great Britain, super powerful. Well, the king had promised a commission to the Admiral Penn for his victories. And he didn't really have the money. And so he said, look, I'm going to give you some land in the new world, but it's mine. And I'm going to name it in your honor. It's going to be called Pennsylvania. Mm. Well, William Penn was a Quaker at the time in England, the Anglican denomination, the Anglican religion was the official established religion of England. And so William Penn, the younger, the son, the Quaker, he kept getting thrown in prison because he was violating the standards. You were told that you're not allowed to have any religious gatherings unless you are an Anglican and attending an Anglican church. Well, he and his Quaker friends would get together and they would have Bible studies and they got arrested and thrown in jail for having Bible studies because they weren't Anglicans. So his father helps negotiate his release. Uh, his father kind of talks to the king and says, look, let's just, let's do both of us a favor. You let my son out, favor to you. I'll send my son to, right, my new land over in the new world, right? That's my favor to you. So like mutual favor. So William Penn comes to Pennsylvania, which is his family's land, according to the king. But he gets there and he meets several tribes. And as he starts building his colony, there's natives coming up saying, hey, what are you doing? He says, we're building. And they're like, but this is our place. And he says, man, I'm so sorry. Can I buy this land from you? Because we, I mean, we we were told, right, that the king owned it. It was ours, but we don't want to steal from you. And so he bought it from the first tribe. A second tribe shows up and they said, hey, this is our land. What are you doing? He says, I'm so sorry. Like, I, they said it was their land. I, I didn't know. Okay, can we buy it from you? He paid a second tribe for it. Then a third tribe showed up and he paid a third right. tribe. Why? Because all three tribes had been warring over that land for decades, if not generations or centuries. 
And so William Penn not only doesn't steal the land, he bought it from all three, three tribes. <laughs> I, I can go through examples like this. It's not until you get more to the era of Andrew Jackson, and then this is really part of Democrat leadership, Democrat policy, that they, they had a disregard for individuals that weren't part of their group. Uh, uh, it, it, it's why Democrats were very pro-slavery. They were very anti-Indian, right? They, they, they had some pretty racist, terrible policies. But Andrew Jackson is the one who violated over 70 native treaties saying, ah, we don't care what our treaty says, we're moving you, we're taking land. And, and this is what led into even uh, the Trail of Tears, which came up in, in future administrations. When, when people talk about land being stolen, unquestionably, there was land stolen under Democrat presidents, Democrat leadership in American history. But that's not until you get well into the 1800s. That is not how America was founded. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly that is not what we look back and celebrate on Thanksgiving. So this is where I would right. I would encourage moms That's to know. That's a big myth then, right? Right. When when you I mean you got to know your kids are hearing that we they stole sure all the land from the natives. No, we right I, I always tell people it's worth asking a question, right? When someone says we stole the land, who? Cuz I didn't steal any land, right? I I paid for mine and I got a mortgage. I'm paying way too much on the interest like I I didn't steal any land. So who stole the land and what tribe did we steal it from? Because we also forget that that for these tribes, they had been warring with each other for centuries. Mm. And so when you have settlers coming into the mix, they're not coming in taking from a, a, a group of people that are only peace loving, that have had no conflict and no wars. Nope. They showed up in a place where war has been going on for centuries right. and they got thrust into the midst of this. They but sure this, this narrative that all the land was stolen is not historically accurate at all. Mm, that is very good because I know um, even my son was discussing some of this on what the messaging is. And these are the things that we need to clear up and discuss. So thank you for clearing that up because it does, it's always that Americans are bad. Our history is terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, we were the aggressors. We were, you know, the terrible people. So thank you for, for clearing that up. And again, I know, tell us about wall builders where people can find all this historical data and information there, Tim. Yeah. Wallbuilders.com is an easy place to go. Uh, you know, obviously with us being uh, right on Thanksgiving, there'll be some, some Thanksgiving articles, uh, easy to find on the website. There's a search, uh, bar as well that you can uh, type in whatever you're looking for. So anything from separation church and state, George Washington, right? You, you pick a title, a phrase, it's all searchable. We have tens of thousands of original documents, um, easily accessible online, a lot of resources. Uh, and so lots of stuff on the wall builders website. So in closing, Tim, just some words of advice about rekindling that spirit of, of, of thankfulness uh, to our moms in their home this year, now that we reflect on the original Thanksgiving and all that that meant. How do we bring that back into our home? Yeah, I think what's so helpful for kids is to, to gain some perspective. Uh, I think it's easy uh, in American culture. We live with so much abundance and so much blessing. Yeah. We don't realize how much we have, and therefore we're not always as thankful as we should be. And yeah. It's one of the reasons I tell moms, uh, really, I mean, parents, grandparents, if you can find a church that's taken mission trips to third world nations, send your kids, send your grandkids on mission trips to third world nations because they, they will never recognize and appreciate how blessed they are unless they recognize what so much of the other world is like. Yeah. And it, it's also one of the things, even as a Christian, I think it's so important for us to maintain the perspective. When, when Jesus healed the 10 lepers, he told them, go show yourselves to the priest. And only one comes back. And Jesus is like, where are the other nine? Right? I mean, right. I know I healed 10 of you. Where's everybody else? It, it, it's a very clear perspective from the Bible that we need to be the ones that, that remember when somebody does something, when God does something for us, we need to remember, we need to appreciate it and go back and say, thank you. And so yes. it's learning the lesson to make sure we are the ones that are grateful. And then it's also gaining perspective 
to recognize how blessed we are and maybe even learn from the pilgrims that even when things aren't easy, even when there's been some significant loss and there's hardship in our life, we can still find things to be thankful for. Amen, brother. Well, thank you for this incredible uh, historic interview. Um, I know the moms will really uh, appreciate this because that's what we want to do. We want to honor history and worship our Savior. So thank you, Tim. Thank you to Wall Builders. Tell uh, the family hello and um, eat lots of pumpkin pie. Be blessed. And um, thanks so much. Don't eat too much turkey. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. We'll see you guys. Well, thanks so much to Wall Builders. Thanks, Tim, uh, for all you're doing over there. What a great resource for our moms to understand America's great history. And um, again, you can check out their website. And I know they have a lot on there regarding Thanksgiving. So please go to Wall Builders and use that great resource for your family. All righty. So moms, before you leave, I just remind you to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Uh, join the movement. Get educated on the issues that affect you, your culture, your home, uh, you know, your schools, everything. We have it all there at momsforamerica.us. So please visit there and check it all out. While you're there, we're talking about history. We're talking about the impact that our founding fathers had. We have this great program called the Cottage Meetings. It is our signature program. They are 12 lessons that will inspire and educate you about America's amazing heritage so you can teach those principles of liberty to your kids, right? Right in your home, share them in your community. It is a very inspiring and educational uh, program that will help you really in your journey through motherhood. We say here at Moms for America, we have everything that you need. Every issue is a mom issue from the kitchen table to Congress, from, um, you know, the prayer time in your home, uh, teaching your children, resources, all of that. We have that here at Moms for America. So please go to momsforamerica.us, check us out and take advantage of all our resources uh, and educational material. I say this every week, moms, we believe that liberty begins at home and that you moms are the heartbeat of America and you are truly the heartbeat of your home. That's why this movement is so powerful. It's why it's so important because it's moms like you that are going to save our country and defend our children. So, okay, please join us next week for another inspiring and informative discussion. We are so honored and privileged to discuss these things with you every week. Um, I can't wait to talk with you next week. And moms, let's remember we, we are changing our world one home at a time. Have a great Thanksgiving. God bless.